hello, hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of Miss Congeniality. I am Eli. I'm so excited that you're here. We have a guest episode this week. If you don't know, now you know how my episodes work. We typically do a theme and maybe it's just me, but sometimes we have a guest and when we have a guest, you get updates and then you get the guest. Um, We're going to get into all of that. The guest this week is Logan Yuri. She is the director of relationship science at Hinge. Guys, I'm going to fangirl a bit. I think that this might have been the coolest thing that ever happened to me because I had listened to her on podcasts before and I was aware of her book called How to Not Die Alone and she is a behavioral scientist. She's so cool. She went to Harvard. Like, this person is incredible, right? And I think of her as, like, so intelligent. And then she was on Girls Gotta Eat and you guys know that I'm a big fan and you guys know that I think fangirling is cool and, like, Am I going to like be creepy fangirl to Girls Gotta Eat? No. Like I think I could definitely hang with them. Like I think we could vibe. But I am a fan. Like I'm not going to pretend like I'm not a fan when I'm fucking fan. Like that's how I feel about everything. Like if you're a fan of something, be a fan. People love to squash joy and I'm over it. So Logan is going to be on this week. But of course we're going to get started with some updates before we get into her interview. I really think that she's a wealth of knowledge on dating. I hope I asked the kinds of questions that you guys wanted to hear. And we're going to get into it. It felt like everybody and their mother went to Europe in the last week, except for me. So if you were in Europe, I hope you enjoyed Escaping America on the 4th of July. I wish I could have gone with you. I was home. I ended up going to Jersey to my parents' house for the weekend. I kind of was like rolling alone. And I want to talk about that because there were a lot of comments. Like, I just realized in the last week or so that people will develop an idea about something. It could be anything. Like, let's use this as an example. Like, you start and we talk about this in this week's episode but like you start dating someone and you put them on a pedestal and you romanticize them and you develop like a story about this person like about how amazing they are about how wonderful they are about the kinds of things they like and then you're mining for details or looking for examples to confirm that the story you created about this is true because you want to feel affirmed in that way so you're looking for any little minute detail that might confirm that your story that you're telling yourself is true even if it's a stretch I find that a lot of people do that about celebrities about people on the internet about content creators for example people I think have this idea or the story in my mind that like I'm not in a healthy relationship or I'm not in a good relationship or maybe they just don't want me to be because they don't like me and so they're you know they're mining for details looking for things that would confirm that story to be true and they had a perfect example this weekend or so they thought when they decided that I was in a rocky place in my relationship that my boyfriend wasn't prioritizing me and that um, we were broken up or that we're going to break up because he wasn't spending the long weekend with me, which I wasn't even really celebrating. So obviously that wasn't the case. Um, About two months ago, he came to me and said, you know, my friends from high school, my buddies haven't gotten together in a group in the last like two and a half years. It would mean a lot to me if you would be willing to say that I should go and spend the 4th of July weekend with them. I know that you typically like to spend these long weekends together and I would love to be with your family, but it would mean a lot to me if you would be okay with me going. So he first of all asked my permission, which he didn't have to do. Second of all, it was two months prior. So it wasn't the kind of thing of like weekend of we have plans and he pulls out to go hang with his friends. Like I said, yes, I was so happy for him. And I honestly enjoyed my weekend alone. And it kind of pissed me off. I was like, dang, people are really looking to mine for details that confirm the story of me and my relationship that they have in their head or that they want to be the case. When in reality, like we just had such great separate weekends. And when he got back, we had the most lovely romantic night. And I was so excited to see him. And like, I don't know, we're just in a very happy, strong place. And I think like, Maybe the fact that I'm not posting him as much on the internet, people think that that's not the case, but I think it's the opposite. Like, I just feel so secure and, like, the happiest I've ever been. And, like, obviously no relationship is perfect and we've definitely had our dips and, you know, cracks and crevices, but we're just, I mean, I feel like I'm the most in love with someone I've ever been. So it was definitely, like, that was kind of, like, annoying for sure because I was alone over the weekend, but I did want to say I, I really enjoyed having no plans. I just kind of went with the flow of what my family wanted to do. I was definitely like the odd one out because my brothers had people there and my parents were together, obviously. But I kind of just enjoyed doing my own thing and reading and kind of like just chilling and not having a lot of pressure or plans. It was really nice. Um, I also want to say I know a lot of times when there's like long weekends or holidays or anything – and people are posting on the internet what they're doing. It's really hard to not compare yourself. Like even like the people that were traveling or people that are in happy relationships or people that seem to have like perfect relationships to their family. And it's really hard to not compare. Um, and I think you just have to take a step back and remember that like what you're seeing on the internet is only a piece of the puzzle. And I'm willing to say that like I don't have perfect relationships with my family. And obviously like 
one thing about my platform that's private is like my personal relationships to people that aren't, you know, yeah, my personal relationships to people in general that doesn't really go on my platform. So like obviously you'll see my boyfriend and you'll see my family, but you have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. You have no idea kind of the challenges that I faced with them or the arguments or anything like that. And I would never share that stuff because it involves other people in a way that's really intimate. But I think a lot of people will look on the internet at anyone and be like, oh my God, they're just so happy. They're so lucky. And on some level, it's definitely true when you're comparing yourself to someone on the internet. But I just caution you, especially in the summertime when it seems like people have a lot of plans and everything seems perfect nobody ever knows what's happening behind closed doors and I found myself doing that a little bit this weekend like looking at like someone's trip to France with their not France where was it I saw somebody on a trip that I like went to high school with in Italy like with their fiance or something and I was like kind of like a sec I like wasn't jealous but for a second I was like I wish that was me and I started like digging through all of their content being like that's beautiful and I want to go on a trip with my I want like that kind of love like I was like comparing the fact that I was like had no plans and I was sitting in my room to like someone I went to high school with like on a trip with their fiance in Europe like it just looked very lovely and happy like it I wasn't like mad at them or angry like I just started comparing myself for no reason or like you compare yourself to people that have big friend groups when you feel like you have no plans or you're feeling a little lonely. Like I find myself doing that, especially in the summertime. So I just want to caution you guys, remind yourself to be intentional and just take a break off the internet. I think for part of the weekend, I just didn't go online because like I knew that even though I was choosing not to have many plans over the weekend, I would feel badly if I looked at stuff and like saw other people showing the highlight reel of their lives so just remember like everyone's showing the best parts and you never know what's happening behind closed doors but also just try to take a break if you need it and don't compare yourself because it can definitely be um, a really big deterrent from your own joy all of that to say I had a really nice time at home I enjoyed catching up with my brothers and family I was really excited to see my boyfriend when he came back and my friends Um, I'm just I'm feeling really good. I like went into this week feeling really mentally like headstrong and I'm proud of myself because I feel like I've come a long way. Like I've definitely been dealing with a lot of like weight um, in the past few weeks and months and I think like I saw someone being like where my reverse seasonal depression girlies at like where my girlies that get sad in the summer. I've just been feeling like there's a lot of things going on and like I'm okay but I've, I really went into this week feeling a lot better and I don't know like I just feel really refreshed and like I was talking to my therapist and we just had a really good session about like you know how far I've come and like how resilient that I've been in the face of things that have happened um and etc so I'm feeling really good I hope you guys are feeling really good if you're not there's hope there's you know you're gonna make it to the other side I have faith in you you can dm me you can bump me you can always reach out if you need something And yeah, I've been feeling pretty good this week. So that's a big, not a change, but definitely like something that I'm patting myself on the back for. I'm still reading By Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Conversations on Love. I recommend both. I'm still doing my journaling thing. And I got back into Pilates. So I feel like, wow, a weight was really lifted because for a while there, I was like, I cannot work out. I'm not like reading. I'm not writing. I just have writer's block. Like I was really struggling. I was really going through it. And this week I'm feeling a lot better. So I hope I keep the momentum going into my birthday I love my birthday. I don't even like my birthday because I like presents or attention. I just love like having a day. Like I love having a day of like it just is the best day. I don't have any real plans for my birthday. I'm going to do a little dinner party with my friends at night. And then I think Avery is going to come home with me and we're just going to swim in my parents' pool. And my parents are going out of town. My brothers are out of town. Like I'm pretty much riding solo in terms of the family stuff. And it's just going to be us. And I'm really excited and my friends. And yeah, it's going to be good, I think. I'm again, not in like the biggest celebratory mood, but I just kind of want to have a relaxing time and just just celebrate the last year of my life because it's been a fucking wild one. It's been wild. And I don't want to do what I did last year, which was blackout and throw up. I don't want to do that again. That wasn't cute. It wasn't the tea. It wasn't fun. Nobody liked it, especially not me. Also, unfortunate update is that I won't be going to Philly this weekend. And um, I'm really upset about it. I'm really bummed about it. I, If you guys don't know, I had a trip planned for a really long time with Hallie and Carly and Jazz and Bran. Oh, I'm going to get emotional because I just feel frustrated about this. I like messed up scheduling and scheduling got messed up and I can't go anymore because I have um, Broadway Con this weekend, which I'm really excited about, but that was a prior engagement and it just slipped my mind. I'm really usually not, I'm really great at keeping myself on the right schedule, but sometimes you fuck up. 
and I fucked up and it's costing me a social weekend that I was really excited to have with people that I love very much and I'm bummed about it but they're gonna have a wonderful time I scheduled a dinner with them on Monday when they're back so I can hear all the tea I'm making them keep me in the group chat so that I don't get FOMO I'm gonna have FOMO but hopefully I meet Hillary Clinton at Broadway Con and things are remedied but yeah I'm definitely bummed about not seeing them but other upcoming travel I will be in Houston in early August if you're there maybe we could do something that could be really fun Um, I'm excited about that I'll also maybe be out in the Hamptons with um, a couple other people in later August and then for my birthday Avery's taking me on a little spa night in the Poconos so I'm really excited about that as well and I think that's going to be really nice and I haven't not been to the Poconos since like high school so if you have Rex Pocono Rex I don't know if that's too niche let me know Okay, also on the recommendation side of things, I am rewatching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm not rewatching it. I don't know why the fuck I said that. I'm on season four and I'm watching. Please don't spoil it. I'm trying to get through it. Also, another rec I have is um, Mike's Mike on YouTube is phenomenal and I would like you to go on a rabbit hole. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because you guys are here today for the lovely Logan and the interview that I had with her. Again, I'm just really grateful. Like, this is a week of gratitude. Like, I can't believe that somebody as esteemed and wonderful and intelligent as she is would want to come on my podcast, that they would reach out to me asking if I would like her to come on my podcast. It, like, it's really crazy, like, how this has grown. And I, I only have you guys to thank. So, you should know that this is I'm really proud of this and I'm proud of us and I'm so excited to see where we continue to go and if you're lucky enough I think that we'll have a very 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 special guest someone near and dear and close to my own heart next week who is very excited to come on my podcast hint he's a Scorpio so without further ado let's get into this week's episode I love you guys I hope you're having a wonderful week I hope you feel okay about yourselves if you don't take a deep breath go drink a glass of water maybe get outside and have a good weekend I love you, and I'll talk to you next week. Okay, guys, I am so excited for this guest today. We have Logan Yuri on. She is a Harvard-educated behavioral scientist turned relationship coach, the author of How to Not Die Alone, and the director of relationship sciences at Hinge, where she turns academic insights from relationship science into advice for daters. Her work has appeared literally everywhere, the New York Times, Vice, the Washington Post, Glamour, amongst others, and now she's here on Miss Congeniality. Welcome to the show. Yay, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming. I know everyone is like so excited. I got so many DMs saying like, oh my gosh, I've listened to her on this podcast or I've read her work and I love her. So I think everyone's very excited. Yay, that makes me feel great. And from what I know about your audience, I think this is going to be a good fit. I agree. Um, So I guess to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I think it helps when we have some context. How did you get into this? What is your background? Was this dating was something that fascinated you or did you go into psychology first? Hit us with sort of who are you? Yeah, it's always so funny to give a little intro bio because you're like, what do I include? What do I not include? Like, who am I? Like, you know, start off the morning with some existential angst. But yeah, I would say I'm a person who has just always been so interested in dating and relationships and really questioned that happily ever after. My parents got divorced when I was in high school. And I think that probably planted the seed where I was like, okay, this cannot be taken for granted. How can I learn about this? And so then in college, I studied psychology. I really dug into human behavior. After college, I worked at Google and I had this really interesting job where I worked with this academic named Dan Ariely and we worked in this behavioral science team called the Irrational Lab. And it was all about understanding how do people think? How do people make decisions? And so what I've been doing for most of my career now is basically applying those questions. Why do people behave the way they do to dating? And so that's taken on different forms. I've worked as a dating coach. I've written this book. Now, I have this awesome research-based job at Hinge. And really what I do is I think about why are people not finding love? What's holding them back? And then how can I give them really specific research-backed advice that helps them overcome that hump and get to where they want to go? That's awesome. And I think it's so important. Like people love receipts, especially in my generation. Like I could give advice on the internet or like anybody could give relationship advice. But when you have like technical data and science and examples to back it up it's like oh that's so refreshing to hear that like this has been confirmed scientifically it's great to hear that that's how you feel and of course that's how i feel i'm like okay there's people that are studying this there's people that are running experiments there's people that are thinking across 
uh, like literally hundreds of research papers. What are the common findings? Why would we not apply that to one of the most important decisions of our lives, finding a partner? But then I see like, you know, I try not to read the comments, but definitely I see like in certain articles that I'm in or even like my friend's parents, they're like, why are you trying to apply quantitative reasoning to dating? Doesn't that take out all the magic? And so I do think there's a generational shift where we're kind of like, tell me what works. And maybe older generations are like, oh no, like dating and love, they exist on this other plane where they can't be analyzed. Yeah. I think it's also like our generation, my generation is like so good at like tapping into what's going on in the brain like we are really good at being like I need help or like I have anxiety or I want to go to therapy in a way that other generations haven't been so I think that also definitely plays into it yeah I I really relate to that in terms of like how I see the world where it's very natural for me to go to the analytical. I'm like, okay, this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. It's like, I'm thinking like, you know, five chess plays ahead. And then it's more work for me to like tap yeah. into the emotional. And so it is interesting because people think like, oh, love and dating is something that is just about natural chemistry and magic and it can't be analyzed. And I'm like, no, of course it can be. And also for most of human history, we were not choosing our partner. There was a matchmaker. There was our family, yeah. right? It was like my father would negotiate with your father because our parcels of land were next to each other. And so yeah. of course, chemistry and romance is important, but choosing a partner is something that actually we traditionally got a lot of help from. Yeah. That's so interesting. And to pivot a little bit. So I feel like there's so many like fictional representations of dating coaches and matchmakers, but I've never actually met someone that did either of those things. So can you tell us like, what is that? What would that work entail? Like if you wanted to go to a matchmaker, what does that look like or a dating coach? Yeah. So I've definitely done both. And I would say, I think I'm a really good dating coach and I think I was not a good matchmaker. And I, <laughs> I, I like saying it that way because it's, I think that matchmaking involves the sixth sense where it's sort of like, what is going on with this person? What do they say they want versus who will they really want? What will this person bring out in that person? It's actually really hard. And I've set up many people, but I'm not someone who's like, oh my gosh, like 20 couples that I set up are married. And I work with a lot of matchmakers. I give them referrals and I'm so impressed by what they do. Um, I would say I don't have that sixth sense. And so in general, there are companies out there that, um, you can work with and you can just explain what you want and they help you find someone. They have databases of people. There are really high-end matchmakers that create a custom search for you. And so, yes, matchmakers are somebody who you go to and they're like, okay, I'm going to look around and see either who I have or find that person. For me, with the dating coach work that I do, I can't really speak for other dating coaches. And I believe that my style is pretty different, but my whole thing is pattern recognition. Okay. So I would say to you, tell me about your exes. How did you meet them? What happened in the relationship? What went well? What didn't go well? Why did it end? And we would start talking through that. And I'd be like, okay, I notice a pattern where you don't really like someone until they don't like you. And then you are anxiously attached and you are chasing after them. And so let's try to figure out, you know, where that's coming from, how you can make different choices in the future, how you can identify a secure partner and how you can convince yourself that, um, you understand that this person is kind and reliable and loyal and lovely and not just jump to like, oh, they're so available. They must be desperate or boring. And yeah. so whatever it is that's going on with the person, I really dig into their history and their past. And then I try to shift their behavior so that they do something different in the future. And so a lot of my clients, it's hard work, right? It's like, I'm yeah. 29 and I've been dating this way my whole life. And now I have to do something different, but that's where the that's where the change happens in doing something different and then getting a different result. Yeah. Do you think that most of your clients that you see for dating coach type of work tend to be people that like aren't dating at all and want to get into it or people that feel like I'm a failure in dating, I can't find anyone or is it like a mix? Yeah, that's a great question. And so in my book, I talk about this concept of the three dating tendencies. And these are the three daters that I come across the most in dating coaching. And what they all have in common is this idea of unrealistic expectations. And so some of them are the type that you talked about where they're not dating at all. And that's called the hesitator. And those people have unrealistic expectations of themselves. I'm sure you have friends like this where they're like, I couldn't possibly date. Like my life isn't together. I need to lose weight. I need a better job. 
job. I need to fix this thing. And it's like, I'm not ready to date until blank happens. Mm-hmm. And so they don't put themselves out there and they're not getting better at dating. Okay. And then there's an, there's another type called the romanticizer where they have unrealistic expectations of relationships. And that's the person who loves love and loves rom-com expects the soulmate, a, a person to look a certain way. And when they hit a rough spot in their relationship. They're like, oh, no, 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 this can't be my person. If it were, it would be effortless. And then the third type is the maximizer. And they have unrealistic expectations of their partner. And this is the friend who says, oh, you know, he's great, except for this thing. I'm going to look for somebody else. I just need to keep looking and researching. And the perfect person is out there somewhere. And they're always thinking that they're just um, one step away from finding that perfect person instead of understanding that it's about creating a great relationship, not finding a perfect person. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think like, do you think that the reason that those like archetypes exist is because of like the way society has sort of like raised us specifically as women to like view romance because I feel like when you think when you break down like rom-coms and like all of the kind of bullshitty things that were fed it's kind of like you think that that exi- that like that prince charming kind of like exists and I think it's like when you realize it doesn't you feel like hopeless but I would rather have learned that like I don't know, my mom always says, like, not every, the person isn't going to check all the boxes, but they should check, like, your most important ones, Um, and I wish I was, like, taught that more often so that I didn't get my hopes so high. Yeah, I really agree with your mom, and I've even been noticing, like, this in the last few weeks with the stuff that I've been posting on Instagram, where I put something out there, and then people are like, why are you trying to tell us to settle? Why are you telling us to lower our standards? And honestly, I'm not saying lower your standards. I'm not saying settle. What I'm saying is there are certain things that really, really matter. Like at the end of the day, when you're looking for your long-term partner, it's like, is this person going to support you? Is this person going to be kind? Is this person going to be loyal? Can you make hard decisions together? Will they be there when the going gets tough? And you should not compromise on those things. Then there are things that you can compromise on. And those are things like, is this the hottest person that you've ever met? Um, you know, how much money does this person have? Do we have exact same hobbies? And I'm not just making this up. This is what research says matters for long-term relationships. And so my whole philosophy is double down on the things that matter and be more willing to compromise on the things that don't. And that doesn't mean settle or lower your standards. It means raise your standards on some things and ignore or compromise on the things that just aren't that relevant in the yeah. long term. Or just like be a, be realistic too, because I think I've like run into the problem so many times where I've viewed someone as this like idealized Prince Charming in my head. And then when they were just a human being and like a great human being at that, but they were just like human and did like something that bothered me or like made a mistake. All of a sudden I was like, oh my God, like, like you're not that person that I thought you were, but it was like, it was kind of my fault for believing that they were when they're just like a really great human being. Like I believe myself to be. Oh, I totally am into that idea. And I have this concept in my book called the Monet effect. Have you ever seen Clueless? Yes. Okay. So do you know the part where it's like kind of towards the beginning of the movie where Ty, the new girl, asks Cher about Amber? Yes. The the redheaded girl. And then, you know, Ty's like, oh, she's so pretty. And, And Cher's like, no, she's a total Monet. From far away, she looks good. But up close, she's a big old mess. Yeah. And Monet, you know, is the um, impressionist painter, right, who has like broad strokes. Yeah. And so what I have found is that sometimes when you meet someone on a dating app, you don't have all the details about them. And so you fill in the blanks in a way where you see them as more positive than they actually are. So they might say, I love music. And in your head, you're like, oh my gosh, they must love the same music I do. And so you build up this fantasy in your head of who they are. And then when you meet them, even if they're really great, if they are not your version of the fantasy that you created, you start to think, oh, that's a disappointment. Oh, this isn't who I want. And you reject them. And then you start to create a fantasy about somebody else. And so that's one of the reasons why I really feel like people should match and then get to the date as quickly as possible. And that's something that I love working at. That's one of the reasons I love working at Hinge because Hinge is really not about making the app fun. It's about using the app to find someone and then get off the app and go on a date. So for anyone listening who's like, well, I need to speak to them for four weeks to find out who they are. It's like, that's actually not a good way to find out who they are. Match, have a conversation, 
you know, spend three to five days, maybe going back and forth and then get on the phone or meet up in person and then say like, who are you versus creating that Monet fantasy? Yeah. Cause it's like, you're not looking for a pen pal. You're looking to like actually date someone. Do you absolutely, do you have any other recommendations for how people can avoid that fantasy effect while also keeping their standards high and like, you know, holding themselves to a standard that they feel like really confident in, but also like not over romanticizing or idealizing someone before they meet them or even when you meet someone like filling in the blanks. Yeah. So there's a couple things. So one is there's this concept called the soulmate mindset versus the work it out mindset. And this is the idea that relation, you know, the work it out mindset is the preferred one. And this is really the idea that, of course, relationships take work. Of course, you're not going to agree on everything. That if you hit a rough spot, it's a chance to have a conversation, say your piece, compromise, get to know the other person, as opposed to saying, oh, well, we're fighting. So this is, you know, it should be easier and and, and this isn't going to work out. So one is just from the beginning, understanding that relationships take work. Another thing is, I feel like it's been very trendy in the last year or so to talk about red flags versus green flags, but I really do believe in that. I think that if we meet someone and we just feel super attracted to them and we want it to work out, we ignore the red flags. I was talking to a client yesterday who just went through a breakup and it was really interesting to hear about in retrospect, the red flags that she ignored. And, you know, I don't begrudge her this, like she's getting back out there. I'm really happy for her that she had this relationship, but there were certain things where this guy was gaslighting her or he was a bad communicator, but then would say like, you're asking for an unreasonable amount of texting. And she's like, actually, I'm not. This is like pretty standard communication. And so one of the biggest ways to make sure that you are not creating a fantasy and you're focusing on reality is to really be honest with yourself about what's happening. If somebody's making you feel anxious or, you know, quote unquote crazy a lot of the time, why is that happening? The person that you wind up with should make you feel empowered, desired, inspired, happy. You really want to focus on what is the relationship actually not actually like versus what is the fantasy in my head of what I wish it were like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And they did, my followers did include questions about red and green flags. So we'll definitely get there. Oh, good. Great. Um, But I'm curious to kind of pivot a little and talk about Hinge and kind of get into that nitty gritty before we talk more about dating. Um, Sure. What do you think, like, what are some of your main findings and like the main missions of your work there? And like, what has been really important that you found about dating apps and Hinge that you would want people to know? Yeah, so I really do think I have a dream job at Hinge where I get to pay attention to dating culture, think about questions or themes that I'm seeing emerging in dating culture, and then work with our research team. And together, we're conducting research into what is happening and how is dating changing. And so at a high level, one of the coolest things that I've done is just track dating throughout the pandemic. I started at Hinge in March 2020 and Hinge is based in New York. And so just like imagine I was like there for my first week at work and then suddenly it's like, okay, you need to fly home tomorrow. And then like I flew home and like didn't leave my house for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, one of the coolest things has just been tracking how dating has changed. One of the biggest trends that I've seen is the rise of intentional dating. Mm. And so this is really the idea that During the pandemic, a lot of single people were spending time alone. Maybe they didn't have roommates. They certainly weren't going to work or um, going to many social events. And so they really went inwards and they were like, who am I? What do I want? And people got more serious about their standards. And we're seeing this show up in dating in some really interesting ways. For example, hardballing, which is the trend where on an early date, someone says like, hey, this is what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? And it's not about being demanding or needy. It's about being upfront and clear about what you want. And so that's a trend that I love. I love that And I'm happy that the pandemic promoted it. Another one is that the definition of a date has changed. So prior to the pandemic, it was really about, you know, go to a bar, get two drinks, see if you like the person. During the pandemic, bars were closed. You could not do that. And so now people are way more open to phone dates, video dates, going to the park, going on a picnic. And in fact, we just did really cool research at Hinge on sober dating. And we found that this summer, 75% of Hinge users are saying that they'd rather do something more creative than the go to a bar and get two drinks date. They'd rather 
go for a walk, go check out a show, go to a museum, go to an archery class, whatever it is, that people are really moving away from that old school idea of a date. And Gen Z is really leading the charge here. And Gen Z is almost twice as likely as millennials to say, yeah, I I don't need to drink on a date. I'd rather do something else. Yeah, that's so interesting. Do you think that the pandemic influenced that? Because it's like a greater desire to like get active and do things and like just like see other people and not just like do the benign or is there like other reasons and motivators? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. So one is just this idea that a date had you had to become more creative with what a date could be. So the definition is changing. Gen Z in general is drinking less than millennials did at the same age. They're drinking about 20% less than millennials did when they were that age. This is also just a cultural trend that's happening. And this predates the pandemic. There's also just such a big rise of non-alcoholic beverages. I know my friends drink um, like like the non-alcoholic beer from athletic brewing company and there's Shirley, which is non-alcoholic wine. It feels like there's just like a lot more options now. Um, I also think that Gen Z or what we found in our research, I should say is Gen Z is the generation that's most focused on mental health. And a lot of people responded to our survey and in our research and said, I want to be in the right state of mind when I'm meeting somebody and alcohol gets in the way of that. And so if you're like, I don't want to feel terrible tomorrow, alcohol makes me feel more anxious. I'm actually going to be sober because then I can date in a way where I am myself. And so it's not about liquid courage. It's about how do I show up and make that authentic connection? Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for anxiety or when people do get drunk on a date and the next day they're like freaking out? Because I get messages like this a lot and I've definitely gotten too drunk on a date, but like I was never anxiety because the other person was also drunk. So like, I don't think I recommended or like enjoyed that experience, but I think it, it does still happen. Do you have like recommendations for how people handle if they got too drunk on a date or like having anxiety the next day? Yeah. When you ask that question, like where my head goes to is kind of my general thing of like, look at your patterns, look at what you're doing. And so my advice for that person is, okay, maybe drinking that much isn't serving you. You know, you have regrets. You wonder what you did. You wonder what you said. You just don't feel well right now. And so in the future, how can you make different choices? And so I would really say like, whatever happened, happened. Let's think about next time. And so maybe it's thinking like, how can we design a fun date that doesn't involve drinking? I think, you know, I was just, I just did this TV appearance talking about this research. And one of the hosts like couldn't imagine that people would go on dates without drinking. And I was like, that's because you're just imagining like going to a bar, but there are no drinks. There's so many other ways to connect. Like, I think my first online date, we went to a coffee shop and we played Bananagrams. I've been on dates where we do like a taco tour of the mission in San Francisco. Francisco, like there's a lot of ways to hang out and have fun that don't involve drinking. So my first piece of advice is maybe you want to do something different the next time. My second piece of advice is that a lot of my clients, especially the younger ones, feel like they need to stay for a certain amount of time or like, oh, you know, the person really seemed to be enjoying talking to me. So it was a four hour date. And I'm like, okay, did you like them? And the person would be like, no, not really. I'm like, why do you feel like you owe them a four hour date? What you owe them is to be present, to show up, to give them a chance. But if you spend an hour with them and you don't enjoy it, you can say like, hey, I have a big morning tomorrow, you know, great to meet you. And so some of it is also empowering people. And I would say this is especially true with my younger clients and tends to be more true with female clients where I'm giving them permission to bow out earlier because you don't have to give someone four hours of your night. Absolutely. And On the converse, I think a lot of people struggle with the like leaving a first date specifically. Like, what do we do? Do I go back with Mm -hmm. them? Do I not? Is it going to change something if we sleep together on the first date? And like my thought process is like if it was the right person for you, it wouldn't matter what you did. But I'm wondering if there's like psychology behind or if you have recommendations for like how you part ways after a date. Do you go home with the person if you're enjoying it? Do you relocate like kind of? I guess those would be night dates more specifically, but what, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, great question. This is something that I've been navigating with my clients for a long time. I would say, especially with my 
straight male clients, like in the wake of me too, a lot of them were asking me like, what do I do? Like, do I go in for the kiss? If I ask someone, if I can kiss them is, does that lose the moment? You know, I've had so many conversations with people about how to tell if someone's interested. The first thing I'll say is that I just don't really believe in rules. I think people that promote rules, um, are not really understanding the nuance of dating. Like, If you sleep with someone the first night that you go out with them, but you feel respected, you feel a connection, you're excited about it, the desire goes both ways, like that's an empowered decision. I wouldn't judge somebody for that. If you decide to sleep with someone because they bought you an expensive dinner, I don't think that decision comes from a great place. And so in general, I don't believe in rules like wait this long to kiss or wait this long to sleep together. In terms of what to do after the first date or during the first date, um, one piece of advice that I learned from a friend who's just a very good dater is that if you're at the first activity and you're really enjoying it, have a second one in your pocket that you can do. So maybe you, you know, go to like a cool barbecue place. And then if you're enjoying it, you say, Hey, I know this really cool bar around the corner. Do you want to check it out? And sometimes it's a good way to gauge, like, is this person opting in to the second hang? And that's maybe a good way to gauge, are they having fun? And also it's kind of just like a nice way to continue hanging out. Um, Yeah. And I also think that just checking in with yourself. So maybe going to the bathroom at some point and being like, do I want to be here? Do I feel like inviting this person over? If they invite me over, what do I want to do? And so a lot of the dating coaching training that I give people is helping them tune in to how they feel and deciding if they want to see someone again. And I have this checklist called the post date eight and it's eight questions that you ask yourself after the date to determine if you want to see the person again. Mm -hmm. And they're definitely not things like how tall was he or how skinny was she? It's things like, how did I feel in my body around them? Did I feel energized or de-energized? Did they make me laugh? What side of me did they bring out? And so a piece of advice I would give people is getting better at tuning into how you feel during the date in order to determine what you want to do at the end of the date or what you want to do after the date. That's really good advice because I feel like sometimes you'll just like, like metaphorically black out during a date. Like you just don't remember what's going on. Your brain like gets all fuzzy. And like, it took a lot for me to like remind myself to be intentional when I was on a date about like, if I was enjoying it or if I was just trying to like, be affirmed by the other person. I totally feel that way. And that's something I hear from my clients all the time that they're performing. So they're like, I want you to like me. So I'm going to do a song and dance. And I'm like, did you like them? And they're like, "Hmm, I have no idea. And so the point of these questions is that if you know that you have to answer these questions later, you are going to pay attention to those things during the date. And this actually is something that I was inspired by the research on gratitude. So I'm sure you've seen like, oh, you should have a gratitude journal. Well, the reason why that works is that if you have to pay attention throughout the day to things to be grateful for, you're training your brain to pay attention to those things. So, oh, I ran to get the subway and I caught it. Normally you just be like, cool. But in this case, you actually are going to like make a mental note of it and then write it in your gratitude journal later. And so the post date eight is doing the same thing. You're paying attention to stuff during the date because you know later that you have to make a note of it. Yeah, I love that. So before we're like on the first date, we spend time on Hinge, like swiping, looking for a match. How many like hinge dates do you think people tend to go on before they find success? Because I hear a lot of like, I'm so fatigued on hinge. I've got, I feel like I've gone on so many and I can't find someone or like, what are your recommendations for combating that slash? I guess like how many do you think people tend to go on? Yeah, great question. So I don't have specific research on how many dates people tend to go on before they find someone because I really do think that it varies based on the person. So sometimes I'll meet someone who's like, Logan, I've been on a hundred dates in the last two years and I just haven't found the perfect person. And they have this idea in their mind that, you know, there's one person out there for them and they just haven't met them yet. And I'm like, look, at that point, when you've dated a hundred people, there's probably somebody in there who would have been a good partner. There's something else going on. Maybe it's that you have unrealistic expectations. Maybe you're turning people off with the behavior. Maybe your mindset is really negative and nobody seems good enough for you. And so I don't agree that it's always a numbers game where you just have to keep dating and then you'll find someone. But of course you need to date a minimum number of people. If you go on one date every six months, like 
you're not really on track to find someone. And so just speaking to the fact that you need to go on dates, but the answer isn't just more dates. Um, wait, can you repeat the question? Yeah, I was just wondering, like, people get so fatigued and they'll be like, I've oh, gone yeah. so many, like, what am I, like, I hate Hinge, I can't stop swiping and I can't find anyone. I definitely hear about dating burnout and it's something that we research at Hinge and that we're really looking for ways to help people overcome. And one of the most interesting research findings we've had is that a lot of the people who experience dating burnout are straight women who receive a lot of incoming likes and they actually get overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And so you might think, oh, this person should take a break and this person should actually do less dating. But what we found is that if you feel empowered, if you feel like you are in control of your dating life, you actually feel less burned out. And so women who go after what they want, send more comments, send more likes, and are really pursuing the people who they like, that actually makes them feel less burned out. And so you can kind of imagine it as you move from the passenger side to the driver's side. And once you're in the driver's side and your hands are on the steering wheel, you're like, I don't feel burned out. I've yeah. got this. And so it's a little counterintuitive, but going after what you want more makes you feel less burned out. That's really good advice. And and when someone is swiping on Hinge, what types of things do you think it's important to be looking for in a profile? Other than like, of course, like whatever you're like looking for in a person, but like what are some like green flags on the app, red flags that you would say you should keep an eye out for? So a big one is effort. I feel like when people just give one word answers or spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes, or they don't use all the prompts they can. I'm like, this person just isn't putting a lot of effort into their profile. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not sure that they're going to put effort into a relationship. So that's something I believe, but something that we also found in our research on what hinge users are looking for on other people's apps. One of the other things that we've been working on at hinge lately that is really interesting is dating intentions. So this is the opportunity to say what you're looking for. Are you looking for a long-term relationship? Are you looking for a short-term relationship? And kind of going back to that hardballing trend, I think we're moving towards a world where people are being more upfront from the beginning about what they want. That's going to save you a lot of time. If someone's looking for something short-term and you're not, it's probably not the right person for you. And so just paying attention to what are they putting out there? What are they looking for? And don't kind of create a fantasy of who they are, actually pay attention to the cues that they are putting out there. I love that. And in terms of the premium feature, I always advocate for it because I just like that you have unlimited swipes. Do you like recommend it? And people always want to know, like, does it actually make a difference? Like, what is the difference? Yeah. So the premium feature is something that, first of all, I just think psychologically, it's like when you spend money on something, you're saying that it matters to you. Yeah. Like I've found this, like whether it's like with class pass or going to the gym or some meal service, it's like, because I'm putting money into this, I am showing myself that it matters. And then I show up for myself more there. Yeah. And so even if the app were completely the same, when you put money into something, it's indicating to yourself that it's a priority and you show up differently. Mm -hmm. The other great thing about preferred members, as you mentioned, is this un unlimited number of likes. You also can have more advanced profile preferences. So you can specify things about politics, family plans, drinking habits, et cetera. And so if you're someone who's like, I really specifically want to find someone who has these traits, you can actually set that. And then those are the people who you, who you see in your feed. And so in general, I would say our preferred members see a lot of success. And some of that is the features that they have access to. And the other part of it is this identity piece where you're like, I'm really serious about this and I'm going to make it work for me by putting some money down. I love that. So I guess with that in mind, something that people are like very, very interested in knowing more about is how do I make a successful hinge profile. What are your tips for a profile that like really stands out and is successful on the app? Yeah, this is something that we've done a ton of research on at hinge and I can share the biggest findings. So one is that your profile is really your chance to make a great first impression. I find that people do not spend as much time as they should on their profile and really people are looking at you for a brief period of time and you really want to put 
your best foot forward. So I think about your profile as telling a story. Who are you? What are you looking for? What would it be like to date you? With that in mind, you want to have a lot of variety. You want to show your silly side, but you also want to show your serious side. You want to show you with some friends or family, show that you have an active social life. You want to show yourself doing something that you love. For the first picture, and that's really the most important one, you want to have a clear headshot, shows what your face looks like, who you are, no filters, no sunglasses, nothing like that. Throughout the profile, you also want to have one picture that is a clear body shot. That's something that people are looking for. And then you really just want to have that variety. So if all the pictures are selfies of you in front of monuments in Europe, okay, that shows me that you like taking selfies and you once went to Europe. You really want to show different sides of yourself. In terms of the prompts, you want to put effort in. Remember, no one word answers. Don't just include your Instagram or Snapchat handle. And you want to show people what dating you would be like. So maybe saying, you know, my ideal Sunday or we're the same kind of weird if. And so really looking at this almost as like a creative writing prompt and a chance to be like, who am I and what do I want to express to people? I love that. That's that's great. Um, and I was just looking at your Instagram story yesterday and you're posting um, some information about pet peeves versus deal breakers. And I feel like that comes in a lot when we're on dating apps. Like I've seen people say before, like, it's crazy to me when people will not swipe, will swipe left on a bunch of people who are under six foot. But if somebody that was under six foot who was charming and really, really cute came up to you in the bar, you would talk to them. So like, what's the disconnect? What's the pet peeve versus deal breaker thing? Can you speak a little bit to that and also how it relates to the apps? Sure. Yeah. So just the general concept is that people say to me, you know, Logan, like set me up with someone. I'm so open-minded as long as he's not a mouth breather or something where, you know, they, they, it's a pet peeve for them. And so a pet peeve is something that you find annoying, maybe more than other people, but it's not true that that thing would absolutely mean that you couldn't date someone. A deal breaker is a fundamental difference where actually you are not the right fit for this person. So if you are from Australia and you want to move back to Australia when you have a family and someone feels the same way about their country, that's probably not a fit. Or if you are Muslim and want to raise your family in your religion and the other person doesn't, that's a deal breaker. The issue is that many people confuse their pet peeves for deal breakers. And so some of the work that I try to do with people is saying to them, if this were present, are you telling me that you absolutely couldn't date this person? And usually the answer is no. And that's where the hype thing comes in. So exactly. If you met a cute guy at a bar and you were both sitting in stools and you had this amazing conversation and when you stood up to give him a hug, he was five nine. Would you really run in the other direction? No, you'd be like, I have a connection with this person. But people just create this arbitrary filters in their mind of, you know, must be over six feet, must make at least six figure income. So a lot of the work that I do with people, especially if they've been dating for a while and they haven't found someone they like, is helping them move things from that deal breaker category to the pet peeves one and say, yeah, you know, I would prefer if this person chewed with their mouth closed or it's annoying that this person has bad style, but ultimately those are things that are not going to prevent you from getting into a happy relationship. And if you really care that much about style, you can help the person go shopping. And so I really find that with certain daters, especially younger ones, they put so many things in that deal breaker category that are actually either nice to have things that you wish were there, but maybe don't matter if they're not or pet peeves where yes, it annoys you, but if it were present, it wouldn't mean the end of your relationship. Yeah, I think that's actually really good advice because in the beginning when I first started dating my boyfriend and we've been together for a year and a half, um, he like loves to sleep in and he like likes to sleep in general. And I'm sort of like a hard 11 midnight to bed, seven, eight wake up, like no matter the day, even on the weekends. And at first I like was looking and comparing it to other people in my life's relationship, like my best friend's an early riser and her boyfriend's an early riser. And I would be like talking to them on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. while my boyfriend was lying asleep next to me. And I was like, this is so fucking annoying. And I think I like at first was like, this is a deal breaker. This is so annoying. But now like he gets up, we get up at like nine on Saturdays. Like we've compromised a lot. And I realized it was just initially like a pet peeve, but it was never something that was going to end our relationship. Like it would be nice to be with someone who's on the same like, sleep schedule as I am but that didn't mean that we couldn't compromise because our relationship is really strong and healthy like beyond that 
Yeah, I think that's such a perfect example because it's like in an ideal world, would you be on the same schedule? Yes, you would prefer that. But does the fact that he's wired a little differently mean that you can't be together? No. no. And I feel like it's really great that you were able to see beyond that versus I just see so many people throwing out these amazing matches because of things like that. Oh, you know, I love wine and he doesn't drink, so we couldn't be together or I'm really close to my family and he's not. And I always imagine being with someone who's super close to their family. It's like, yes, it's okay to have preferences, but isn't there a world in which maybe that person really loves that you drink wine, even if they don't, or maybe that makes them even more excited to become close to your family because they're not close to theirs. I think we make these assumptions and just put things in the wrong category. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, so I asked my followers for some questions for you and I want to share some of them. So the first one is actually something I'm interested in asking you about as well. Do you believe in the one and that like you can fall in love at first sight and that everyone has a soulmate and like, oh, they're the one. Do you believe in that concept? Do you think that we can grow toward that? Do you think it's inherent? I don't believe in the concept of the one. I think it can be harmful because it makes you feel like, oh, I need to keep looking because there's only one person out there for me who it will work with. And you might reject a lot of great matches. Instead, I feel like life is long. There's so many people and there's a lot of great people who you could build a life with. And there's just different versions of your life. And so, for example, my husband is vegan. We don't go out and eat, you know, bacon mac and cheese that's not the version of our life but who cares i love his delicious vegan meals that he makes um for you it's like maybe you and your boyfriend aren't going to go on 7 a.m runs but that doesn't really matter and so instead of thinking about the one think about what is the type of life i want to live i want to live a life where we inspire each other. I want to live a life where when we're in the car, we can't wait to talk about the people we just met at the party. I think really imagining that there's so many ways that your life could go. There's not just one perfect person for you. And it's really up to you to find someone great, invest in them and build that perfect relationship versus imagining that you need to keep searching and one day you'll find your Prince Charming. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think some of my followers are definitely on the younger side in terms of like just getting started out in dating. And then I think also some of them feel really inexperienced in dating. What are your tips for like breaking into the dating scene and the dating app scene as like a first time dater who feels like they're pretty inexperienced? My first tip would be put yourself out there. The only way to get better at dating is by actually dating. The only way to figure out who you want to be with and what type of person works for you is to date. And so it will feel scary in the beginning, just like it does whenever you start a new skill. So if you were learning to play the guitar, if you were starting to work out for the first time, you would not be good at it. Just embrace the suck and say, I am bad at this. I am going to get better and better to learn now when there's a lot of single people my age and the stakes are lower. And so I'd really encourage them to start now. The other thing is to really pay attention to how you feel around someone and to not ignore red flags. When I think back to some of my early 20s relationships, I would go to bed next to the person and just be like, this doesn't feel right. Like this person isn't that nice to me. Like I feel like they're just like making me an option when I'm making them a priority, but I would stick around for a year. And I would really encourage people pay attention to what's going on. And if it doesn't feel right, if you're being if you're being questioned, if you feel like they're gaslighting you, that's really an opportunity to stand up for yourself. And I think one thing people learn over time is how to advocate for themselves. So the sooner that you can get comfortable doing that, the sooner you're going to be in a really respectful relationship. Amazing. And I guess like in the same vein, how are you able to tell if someone is love bombing you and how can you like weed out the love bombers? For those people who don't know, love bombing is sort of when someone comes on really strong and then effectively ghosts you after like convincing you that they're in love with you. Love bombing is so annoying. I, I have worked with a lot of people who've been love bombed or are love bombers, and it's just such a frustrating part of modern dating. So for people who are wondering, am I being love bombed? Are the compliments and the promises that the person is making, are they appropriate? For example, if on the second date and the date is in January, the person's like, oh my God, we're both born in July. Like we should have a joint birthday party. I feel like that's coming on a little strong. Like you don't even yeah. know this person. Why are they this future faker? Why are they promising you something that's going to happen, you know, six or seven months from then? And so the compliments feel good, but do they feel real? And do they feel specific? For example, I was speaking to a client recently who said she dated this guy. They went on two dates and then every day he would text her, good morning, beautiful. 
And what we talked about was whoever he goes on two dates with, he probably sends that to, and it's not earned. It's not specific. It's this person coming on really strong, trying to seduce you, trying to be really, you know, in your DMs, whatever, but it doesn't necessarily feel genuine. And so the difference between someone who's securely attached and interested in you might be something like, hey, I really liked getting to know you. I'd love to see you again versus being like, my mom is going to love you. You both love baking. Like it needs to feel earned. It needs to feel genuine. And intimacy grows over time. It's not just vomited all over you after the second date. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I was just thinking about this, so I'm curious your take on it. I feel like a lot of people will mistake chemistry for intimacy. So they'll be like, oh, I'm sexually attracted to that person. Like, we had a really good kiss. And because of that, now I think we're going to get married. But I feel like when you're on a second date, you can't really know if, like, that person is, like, effectively right for you. Like, you don't really know them. Yeah, in general, I would say, you know, jumping to things like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to marry this person. It's like, it takes a really long time. Like, in the beginning, we're kind of playing a version of ourselves, right? It's like, it's great to be authentic, but you're going to put your best foot forward. Maybe you're going to edit out certain parts of your life that are less appealing. And so just knowing that it takes a while to get to know someone and you shouldn't jump to conclusions and start that wedding Pinterest. The other thing I would say is in my book, I have this chapter called F the Spark. And it's all about how people in our modern dating world are way too concerned with the spark. And so they'll say to me, oh, you know, he was cute. He was friendly. He has an interesting job, but I'm not going to see him again because I just didn't feel the spark. And I know you know what I mean, but the instant chemistry, the butterflies, the puppies and rainbows. And if you look at the research, you can see that a lot of great relationships the people grew together over time. Maybe they worked together and they developed a flirtation. Maybe they lived in the same dorm or in the same apartment building and they were just exposed to them over time and got to know them more. And so sometimes that feeling of the spark is actually, instead of being a good sign of butterflies, it's actually an alarm bell going off saying, this person isn't being clear with you about how they feel. You don't know if they like you or not. And so we so often confuse anxiety for chemistry and i would say slow your roll focus less on the spark and get to know this person over time it's really good advice and and do you think that it's pretty much a red flag and bad sign of like you can't tell how someone feels about you like if you do feel a little bit anxious and like if they're not being clear like do you think that that's in general like a red flag that maybe they're not looking for something serious or not looking for something with you like do you think that baseline like when someone likes you you sort of know I think it depends. Um, if you're anxiously attached, you might be more likely to wonder how someone feels about you when maybe it's really early and they're still figuring it out. And so I definitely seen text messages that people send that are like, hey, like you haven't been responding quickly. Either tell me if you're interested or not. And that kind of puts a weird pressure on the other person where the person's like, we just met, I'm still getting to know you. And so I wouldn't say necessarily if you can't tell if the person likes you or not, that means that they're not interested. They may just still be figuring it out. Okay. But I would say after a certain amount of time, you want to see, is this person being consistent? Do they text when they say they will? Do they ghost you occasionally? Do they cancel a bunch of dates? And so sometimes it's about looking at somebody's actions. Are their actions showing that they are being consistent and that they are being clear? Or are they sending mixed signals? And I think the mixed signals piece is really what trips people up. Yeah, that's so interesting. How can we avoid sending mixed signals to other people when we're dating? The hard part, which I think many of us struggle with, is figuring out what we want. And so we talked about this earlier, where it's like you go on a date and you're performing and you want the other person to like you and affirm you, but you don't even think, do I like them? And so in general, when I'm coaching people on getting what they want, the first and maybe hardest part is figuring out what you want. And that is a lifelong journey. So it's, what do I want? I need to communicate to the other person what I want. And then I need to see how, what, how they react. Are they going to give it to me? Are they not going to give it to me? And then I, <clears throat> so the third thing is, you know, are they, how did they respond to when I asked, do they want to give that to me? Do they not want to give it to me? And then the fourth thing is deciding like, do I stay or do I go? And so you really have to think about what you want, ask for it, see their reaction, and then make a decision that feels right to you. And, it's hard to know what you want and it takes a lot of inner knowledge and alone time and, you know, maybe just an extra long shower where you're having a conversation with yourself about like, how do I really feel? Not how do I wish I felt? I love that. That's great advice. So 
kind of to wrap it up, this is a question I got a lot and like similar questions asking you how you feel about people using dating apps for like just for self-esteem boost or like just for sex, like just for like sort of that affirmation kind of instant gratification thing. Do you think that that's like healthy? Like what are your thoughts around that? In my work at Hinge, Hinge the entire time I've been there has been very focused on intentional daters. So people who are looking for something and who really want to be clear with the other person about what they want. We now have this dating intentions feature where people can say what they are looking for. And that's a chance where if somebody's just looking for something casual, they can put that forward. I think that's absolutely fine. So it's not that I think somebody should necessarily be looking for one thing or the other. If you just got out of a breakup and you just want to get back out there and have fun, that's fine. The distinction is you need to be clear with other people. And so instead of pretending you want something more than you do, you can just say like, hey, like I just got out of something, I'm not looking for something serious, but I'm attracted to you and I'd love to get to know you more. And so in general, I feel like you can be looking for whatever you want, but be upfront with people from the beginning about what that is. In terms of using the dating app for affirmation, I would just say that's a chance to look inside yourself and say, what is the unmet need? What is the hole inside of me? Is it that I don't feel like I'm attractive? I don't feel like I'm worthy. I don't feel like I'm lovable. And I can tell you from the self-work that I've done, from all the reading I've done on this, getting that external validation is very temporary and very shallow. And it's not until you really believe those things about yourself that you can embody them and move forward. And so I would say, focus on what your unmet need is and try to meet it internally instead of externally. I love that. Well, I'm sure that everybody wants like so much more of your wisdom. So I was wondering, can you tell me a little bit about your book and plug that for us so that everyone can go out and get it and read it and can, you know, fill their mind with more of this great dating wisdom. Yes, absolutely. So I wrote this book called How to Not Die Alone. It applies science from the field of relationship science and behavioral science to dating. And people can, you know, find it wherever books are sold. And I do read the audiobook if that's appealing. I also send out a weekly newsletter and I teach a dating class and people can get more information about that on my website, loganeary.com. Perfect. And I guess going with your website, can you tell us where we can find you, um, socials, all that good stuff? Sure. Yeah. I'm at Logan Yuri on Instagram and Twitter. And I send out a weekly newsletter called Logan's Love Letter. Oh my God. I'm, I can't wait to subscribe. Thank you so much Yay. for everything. Thank you. This for was so on. fun. Yeah, this was great. You're just so you have such a wealth of knowledge. And I think this is gonna be super helpful for so many people. Yay. Well, thanks for being so prepared. And thanks for bringing those uh, follower questions. It was really fun. Oh my God, of course. Have a great rest of your day. Yay. Okay. Bye. Bye.